And so I just said, Jason, do you think it's crazy if I want to go out on my own? And at, at this time, everybody was saying, Dan, what are you doing? That's crazy. Yeah. You have a kid, this and that. And I just said it real fast in passing. And you're like, yeah, hell yeah, D. Why not? I did it. You can do it. And just that mm -hmm. easily, you know what I mean? That's, that easily just saying that to somebody and then you don't even know the impact that you have on people. Mm -hmm. And I literally walked away. I went out and got my business license that day. And, you know, it was ever since. But, I mean, imagine just to be like, yeah, D, you can do it. I did it. You can do it. You know how many great. haters I'm going to have because of that, D? <laughs> First of all, I'm beyond moved that, <laughs> like... Hey guys, welcome back to the Never Settle Mindcast. I got a great guest today. Um, first, she's a friend. Uh, more importantly, we're here to talk about her, her success as a family law lawyer. She's the principal and founder of the laws of Deanne Arthur, specializing in family matters, divorce, child custody, support, you name it. Uh, she really prides herself on being that compassionate advocate, uh, understanding her client's interests, being there as a resource to connect with and guide them through usually one of the most difficult times in their life. Emotions are high, stakes are high, and then she can switch gears and be the warrior and be the fierce advocate that we need to see in the courtroom when you're trusting somebody with the future of your marital estate or your kids and who's gonna have them and when and how long, you can only imagine. Um, those are difficult decisions to make, to say the least, and she does a fantastic job in her lane, finding her groove and representing people. Uh, in addition, in her free time, uh, Deanne is also a contributor to local news outlets, um, nationally, Fox, uh, CT6, CW. There's too many letter <laughs> soups to keep, keep them straight, to be I honest know. with you. Um, but Deanne is a contributor on local news outlets, respected for her legal analysis, opinions. Um, and you'll see within minutes in this podcast, her personality just emulates right through the screen. Last, she's a native of San Diego alum of Howard Law School. Her father, who you may have seen on the podcast, Neil Arthur, also an alum of Howard Law School. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that shortly. Um, are you uncomfortable yet? I am. I'm comfortable. Good. I feel like I wish I could take you everywhere to introduce me everywhere I go. I, I would love that. I'll be your professional <laughs> hype man. I'm coming out, have the smoke, <laughs> we'll hit the beats. And I'll be like, Deanne, all right. <laughs> I need that everywhere I go. Yeah, you, know, you <laughs> got to. Um, but we were just talking about this. Mm -hmm. uh, so before we get into... The backstory, we, we're just talking about how uncomfortable it is to talk about ourselves, and, and it's weird, right? Yeah. Because people don't associate lawyers with being uncomfortable talking, and we spend our whole careers being the voice for our clients. Uh, but it really is different when you're asked to sort of look in the mirror and then tell people about who you are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That that's always tough. You can always go in advocating for another person, talking about that other person's strong points, especially in family law. It's about boosting that person as a parent or spouse or whatever it may be. But it's so funny. We can do that all day long. But when it comes to say, hey, tell me about you. Tell me all the strong points about you. It's like, oh, I'm a good lawyer. Right. <laughs> um, I could, you know, I don't know. I have to Google me, like you said earlier. You know, it's just always easier to do that. But. I think that that's probably a strong suit for us is because we're always focusing on other people. So it probably does make us better lawyers. And that's just what we're used to. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I think it's a testament to your humility. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the people that I meet who are people of, of real substance, you know, not keyboard thugs, not pound their chest about how great they are. Uh, usually, you know, big hat, no cattle, if you yeah. will. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the humble ones are the ones that you sort of got to be careful about 
because they're always deflecting sort of the attention to other people and mm -hmm. they sort of let their actions speak. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the podcast, you got to do your talking <laughs> and we want to highlight yeah. you and I want people to get to connect and know you and we can pick apart how you got to be where you are. It was not a straight road. No. Um, why don't we start a little bit at the beginning? Let's know about how you grew up in San Diego with Uncle Butch. <laughs> Uncle Butch, yeah. So the thing that was funny about him, New York City guy, you know, grew mm -hmm. up there, you know, did everything on concrete, right? You have blacktop. And he decided that he wanted to be in the country. He decided he wanted horses. And so he, um, out of law school, he worked in D.C. for a little bit packed up the kids there was three of us and packed us all up and moved us to san diego but not just san diego we oh i think he lived a little bit in san diego before i was born that's true that's true that's true yeah so let me think back i was born here obviously mm -hmm. but then he moved us to a place called valley center oh yeah so valley center it was a fun place i loved it but it took us a good hour to get to school every morning it was pitch dark every single time i had to get up in the morning to go to school and you know, animals running around. I had horses, we had dogs, my sister had bunnies, cats, the whole nine. So <laughs> it was definitely far from what he had growing up in New York, but I wouldn't change it for the world. It was so wonderful. I rodeoed, I barrel raced until I was late into high school and then um, obviously couldn't take the horses with me when I went to college and then kind of moved on from there. I would like to be able to kind of do that again, but just obviously lawyering, it's been tough, but. Um, yeah, so that was a great kind of growing up experience. I wasn't always sure that I wanted to be a lawyer. I decided I wanted to be a veterinarian because, you know, being around all the animals. And it changed my mind one day when I came home. My dad had actually been in a real bad horse accident, and we had to keep him inside so we couldn't really see what's going on with his horse. So his horse had some, his intestines essentially got turned around. Ooh. And because like they flipped together, right? And so the intestines were all messed up. And I saw this vet. I mean, arm deep to his shoulder in the horse's butthole. Yeah. And I was like, mm, don't want to be a vet anymore. That's that's over. That's that's new career change. Oh, and yeah. Then, so then uh, then it was a couple other things. Like I want to be a teacher or other things. And then I settled on law and went to law school. And, you know, here we are. And then I went to law school in D.C. And that was a great experience. You'll never forget the imagery of that vet with that rubber sleeve going up to the shoulder. I've seen Never. that before with a cow. Oh, oh yeah, so you know. Oh yeah, I was in college, I went to UC Davis, um, one of the preeminent veterinary schools in all of the nation, yeah. uh, big equestrian program, and did a lot of research on cows and stomachs, and we actually had a cow there that had a plexiglass on the side of its body, so you could see like the six different yeah. stomachs. and. Uh, Routinely, graduate students and vets had to go out there and perform sort of examinations, and it, it's something. Yes. It's not for me. <laughs> I'll know. tell you that. I'm not going shoulder deep in anything like that, <laughs> no. but some people love it. Yeah. Some people forget it, not me. Yeah, we needed that experience, though. We need to be able to see that, to know our career path, and it was not that. Shoulder deep in, in uh, animals was not our career path. No, some people mm. are into it, not us. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about D.C. and Howard and law school. How did you decide on law school? Did you think about it growing up because your dad was a lawyer, or how would that come into play? No. So oddly enough, after I graduated from college, I started working at a bank, and um, I just somehow became just kind of the person that I was always kind of like advocating for other people. And I liked working in a corporate environment at the time. Um, and then I just realized, okay, I, I do kind of have a gift for gab a little bit. I do like representing people's interest. And then I just started looking into it more. And it was kind of a natural step because I could immediately go to my dad and, you know, ask him what it was like and all of that. I have a cousin, obviously, you know, Brian Watkins, that he was already a lawyer at the time. 
I could talk to him a lot. Um, and then I actually started, um, I was already in DC. I moved there kind of knowing that I wanted to go to law school. And then during the summers, I would come home and work with Brian and just kind of kind of piddle around his office and just, you know, see what was going on. He would take me to court with him. Obviously, I was still in college at the time, so I could only just be in the audience. But it just kind of gave me the feel of the courtroom and have the feel for what it was like. And I fell in love. And I was just like, okay, this is what I was going to do. And then I just stayed on that path ever since. And then obviously Howard was a natural choice because of my dad. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's awesome that you got the experience of what it's like to be a lawyer, right? Yeah. And like what it's like to be in court, not on TV, um, but actually to go there and sort of see the timing and just get a flow for the energy and just how things play out. Because one of the things I did before I went to law school, no one in my family was a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this crazy idea that I was going to do it. And, mm-hmm. and I got in and I ended up meeting my first law partner, Paul Turner was one of the first lawyers I met in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, you know, I'm like starting law school in a month. Do you think I can come hang out in your office just sort of see what a lawyer's like, like what's your day like and where you go? Yeah. And that was some of the most valuable insight that I gained was seeing what it's like in real life, not just in the textbook and study con law, study crim law, civil procedure. Um, and you having the benefit of doing that before law school paid dividends and you could probably imagine the real world application of what you're learning and heard some of that or saw some of it play out with Brian, right? Yeah. And, you know, taking the bar exam and all of that doesn't teach us to be lawyers. No. Doing it teaches us to be lawyers, being out there. So being able to kind of experience that firsthand was good. And it's funny you tell me the story about Paul's because when I met you in Gerald's Mm -hmm. office, you hadn't been barred that long, but you had seemed like a five, 10 year lawyer. And it was probably because, you know, having experience with Paul. And it's all about confidence also. Yeah. You know, we could have the wrong answers, but as long as we're confident with that wrong answer, mm-hmm. you know, people will believe us, right? And and yep. it people feel that, okay, I want her. I don't know if what she said was right, but I want her, you know, representing me. And that's how I felt with you. You had all the confidence in the world. Um, you know, you were ready to go out there because of having that experience. And... Um, you know, the story that I always want to share with you, and I don't know, and it's funny, as long as we've known each other, I don't know if I've really ever shared this with you. I don't think so, because you told me that you had a story to tell me yeah. about us that I you hadn't shared with me before, so let's And I have I to, like, make sure I don't tear up even when I tell a story. No, tear so, up. <laughs> we want it. Yeah, I, that camera. makes it better. So, you know, I'd been doing criminal law when I got out. I was working mm-hmm. for Brian, um, but it wasn't really my passion. It wasn't, I, I didn't find a niche there. And, you know, it is a little bit harder. It's, it's a male-dominated world a lot. Absolutely. And so, and then also working in private practice where you have a principal attorney. When you come in, you want that attorney really representing you. So I was doing misdemeanors and things, but you didn't really, I didn't really have that client contact. And it was kind of just working around whatever, you know, I needed to do for him. Then I had my son, and I know that I needed to have more time at home. I need to make my hours, you know, a little bit more, whereas what he needed was going to be more than I could give, you know, having a newborn. So I decided, okay, let me, and I knew I always liked family law. I mean, I loved watching soap operas when I was a kid. Like, I loved getting into, like, the drama of people's stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh, yeah. I was good with it. I I wanted to get into it a little bit. I asked Brian about it, and he goes, you know him. He was like, no, absolutely not. I want that here. He goes, but I'll support you if you want to do it. <laughs> it's okay. So I'm, you know, I'm nervous. I have this child. I'm, you know, making this big decision. And 
I don't even know what I was doing that day. I felt a little aimless that day and I, I was walking and I was walking into the Hall of Justice because the line was too long at the criminal side. Mm -hmm. And I ran into you, you're in a three-piece suit, you're on your way to court, and you're kind of just like, you know, like, hey D, what's up, this and that. And so I just said, Jason, do you think it's crazy if I wanna go out on my own? And at, at this time everybody was saying, Dan, what are you doing, that's crazy, yeah. you have a kid, this and that. And I just said it real fast in passing. And you're like, yeah, hell yeah, D. Why not? I did it. You can do it. And just that mm -hmm. easily, you know what I mean? That, was, that easily just saying that to somebody, and then you don't even know the impact that you have on people. Mm -hmm. And I literally walked away. I went out and got my business license that day. And, you know, it was ever since. But, I mean, imagine just to be able to like, yeah, D, you can do it. I did it. You can do it. You know how many great. haters I'm going to have because of that, D? <laughs> First of all, I'm beyond moved that, <laughs> like, you know, it's real. But... Yeah on the joking side i'm to blame for your fucking success <laughs> now all these people that you came in as a fucking wrecking ball on behalf of your clients that did your damn job you know they already had you to blame and now they're really like it's that motherfucker over there <laughs> he's the one who told her yeah jump yeah you know but it's i remember that conversation we've had a couple in front of the courthouses that one was yeah. a quick one usually it, it involves you coming up um Sweet as always, <laughs> pleasant. That smile, how you doing? We're talking. I'm being a smart ass because that's what I do with my friends. <laughs> I usually make a joke to make somebody uncomfortable, um, whether it's you or the bailiff or somebody. Yeah. Um, so I remember the, those moments and, you know, not to throw Brian under the rug, but there's a lot of times where perhaps Brian gets tied up and there's a stack of cases that have not been answered up on. <laughs> and guess who's the gopher? So right. here, D, uh, you just do it. Right, right. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, D, baby, go do it. Yeah. Hey, you got that. Yeah. You got it, D. <laughs> um, thanks, Brian. Um, and so then we saw Simon go through that, too, by the way. He's another day. <laughs> but I remember that day. And, and I meant, you could tell, even in the quick interaction, that I meant it. Yeah. And as your friend, I wouldn't just say that to you to make you feel good. The first right. thing, anyone who knows me will know that you can be kind of a dick because sometimes people aren't always ready to hear the truth. Right. And right or wrong, I don't always have a filter. Yeah. Uh, most of the time I don't. And my wife will tell you, you know, G will tell you. <laughs> um, or my mother-in-law yeah. will definitely tell you <laughs> um, because she sometimes is just amazed at the things that I say. And then upon reflection, they can dig through the emotion, realize that, wait a minute, there's some truth to that. Right. You know, and, and I meant that. And, and the truth being, I could see the dynamic between you and Brian. Mm -hmm. I could see you being in that field mm -hmm. and seeing you experience success in that field and seeing you be a lawyer and you can do it, but there's a difference between doing something and then being really truly passionate. Yeah. And because it, it's sort of like a sports analogy and we're gonna get into some sports here mm -hmm. where when they want Kobe, they want Kobe. Exactly. Right? And so it's the same thing with, with my practice um, in the sense that it's so individualized in particular mm -hmm. in criminal law that when they, they don't hire a firm, they hire a person to go to war for them. Right. And when they hire Brian, they want Brian. It's no disrespect to you. Sure. And so he honors that. Um, and the same thing now in your family practice. Mm -hmm. When they hire you, they want D.N. Arthur to come represent them on that family matter. They don't want your associate. Right. They understand they're part of the process, but when they need you, they want you. And it's, that's what makes our practice areas so similar and unique in 
the individuals that we're affecting. It's right. not individuals in a simple setting where we're talking about money mm -hmm. or an insurance company or just a company in general, but it's so personal in what we do. Mm -hmm. So I see the alignment there yeah. between family law, stakes are high, criminal law, stakes are high, personal representation. And I saw you as the go-getter from the days back hanging out in Gerald's office, yeah. right? You could see the competitive edge. You could mm -hmm. see the understanding, the patience, the willingness to put in the work. Mm -hmm. And then I see you as a lawyer. I was there, you're swearing in. Yes. We all have that big picture. Yeah. Um, and it's just one of those things where without hesitation, you got the real raw answer. And I'm glad yeah. that it moved you. You never told me that before. Yeah, and again, it's how you said it too. That's why it moved me because you didn't just say it in passing. You weren't like, ah, do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. You were like, yeah, D, you can do it. You know what I mean? Like I said, you've been at my swearing in. You've known me this whole time. And I don't think that you would have set me up for failure. Yeah. So I literally walked out there and I was like, okay. I, uh, I had court or whatever, walked down, applied for my business license, and then went forward. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. That's good. That's so awesome. I, yeah. I didn't know that. And I thank you for sharing it. I, yeah. There was no introduction to that. There was no prequel before the camera started rolling. You got me. <laughs> That's why I wanted to tell you on camera. Yeah, so oh, it was you're good. sneaky. You got these trial tricks and shit? <laughs> the little, oh, gotcha. How dare you? I'll get you. No, please don't. You want to go play softball? I, oh, my gosh. <laughs> let's, let's, can we please talk about softball? Can we please talk about softball? Let's talk about softball. Mm. We'll get to where you want to go, but I want to <laughs> talk about you because from being the rodeo queen and wrestling, you know, bears, lions, tigers, and horses out in Valley Center, um, and you didn't have an alarm clock, you had some roosters. I, I get that. Uh, but you also played sports. Yeah. Let's talk about that. What was your first real sport that you played that you fell in love with? Softball. Was Definitely it softball? softball. Yeah. So my, I've always been a daddy's girl, you know, mm -hmm. so I was always hanging around with my dad. I was always a little bit of a tomboy. So when he was riding horses, I was riding horses. When he said, hey, you know, you want to play softball? Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing it all the way. And so I was probably... I don't know, seven, eight, and he got me in little leagues. And I started doing that and then just kind of kept doing it ever since and then did it throughout college until it was literally, I, I stopped probably around the time when we were in intramural leagues because I was like, I'm too old. I'm too old to be diving and carrying on because I have to go to work <laughs> the next day. I'm And plus, like, I remember, I was were we in our league when I dove to second or third base? I felt like, everything was breaking from like top to bottom. I couldn't even feel like I could get up and I just felt like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, now with Titus, you know, I have to watch him early in the morning, do all that, go to work, I don't wanna have bruises, so kind of put that to bed. But I think the last time was when um, you broke a whole face um, <laughs> in uh, a softball league. That, that might have been one of my last games or so. It still wasn't my fault. That was literally not your fault. That was not my fault. It was I, not your fault. We had a plan, and we'll, we'll, we're going to tell that story mm -hmm. so they don't get the wrong impression. Yeah. Um, but you could definitely ball. And it mm -hmm. became clear when we started playing with that intramural team who were the talkers yeah. and people who actually had skill. Yeah. And I remember the head first dive because you're – instinct your competitive drive kicked in and that's your mind knew what to do yeah. uh, your body wasn't quite in my body's like what the heck yeah. are you doing we're doing this again <laughs> yeah. but like your mind was in the game like you're going for it and you had to dive you had to get in um but yeah i've, I've had those moments too because we don't our mind stays sharp thankfully yeah. are you still playing no i okay. yes i will play two leagues have been canceled i still was filling in on the oh, da's yeah. team mm -hmm. um but then we were in north county we didn't have the time. Saturdays got taken over okay. with kids, as you know, gymnastics time. So oh, my yeah. two-a-days playing softball and the weekends having fun and hydrating with beers in between right. um, 
I had to take a back seat because my kids like gymnastics and I, I'll be damned if I'm going to miss out on that. So right. I had to be there, right? Yeah. As if I'm going to teach them something. But I was there to cheer, take <laughs> videos. My Instagram will tell you. Yeah. But um, yeah, that story about breaking the face uh, was close to getting me to quit playing. What? I mean, we tease. No, no, no. But okay. it's not, it has nothing to do with the teasing. That's okay. friendship, camaraderie, sportsmanship. I can talk shit with the best of them. You put them in the chair or anywhere yeah. and you know I'll, we can go tongue for tongue blow for blow does yeah. not matter it was that was the second incident i had where the level of skill was too disparate between the people i was used to playing with and the people i was playing with right yeah because that's all that happened mm -hmm. and yeah. and so like the first one was i was on an intramural team and i had been playing i was playing college i'd come back from an injury but i was still at a collegiate level and it was a little intramural thing we're playing softball and they put the, this girl at first base. And I was like, I'm left-handed. Are you sure you want to yeah. do that? Because what like, position oh, were you yeah, playing? You were playing short? Uh, I, she was at first. I was batting. Oh, oh, oh you're batting. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so that story ended oh, yeah, with the line drive. down the yeah. line. Yeah. yeah. That story ended with the line drive. Thankfully, sort of like caught her glove. So it only got like half of her forehead. But yeah. she she went down like the little carnival game, you know, where you shoot that, you shoot the little clown <laughs> yes. that goes by. That's what she, it was just boom. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and so it was literally like maybe 40 years that I wouldn't play intramurals okay. because I didn't like, I didn't want to hurt somebody. And it's not right. that I'm the greatest, but there's, there are levels to that game. Right. So when we were playing and I was protective, Jarissa's on the team, she was pregnant She's with pregnant. Gianna. So we had to move her to Rover. Yeah. And we had the play, right? Yeah. Willie, I was in the outfield. If we're going to try and get him out, we wanted Willie to travel and trail the runner from first to cover the throw at second. Yeah. And so when he's coming and he had his hand up to cover second as designed and she thought she was going to take second, no, because my competitive instinct came out. Yeah. And so I, I did mean, you I crow did. hopped from center field. Yeah. And, and well, and also with intramurals, we're used to runners that are also, you know, having mm -hmm. the wherewithal to look. So in intramurals, you know, you're not really doing that. And so she was just running, you know, looking at the bag and then, you know, he alligator got armed back. It. Oh, yes. I didn't the, want to put a toy out there, but he gave the, the hit one of these. The no thanks. <laughs> yeah, saw your face, saw you gunning it, and like, eh, I'm not gonna do it. Yeah, I'm not catching that. <laughs> That's the, those were his words. You threw it too hard. I'm not catching that. <laughs> and so she caught it with her face. But again, <laughs> thankfully, it sounded like a gunshot. Oh, it, <laughs> it really sounded like a watermelon breaking. And yes. it was like two things that I was really thankful for. Um, one, her, she had glasses that broke yeah. some of the blow. Yeah, that was a lot of the sound too. And she made like a good recovery, thankfully. And secondarily, she was right across the street from Sharp Hospital with insurance. Yeah. And so she got in there and like, she was fine, but I was I was bad. I, f I felt sick to my stomach. Like I everyone knew I didn't do it on purpose. No, but no. I was at third base. I didn't even want to walk over. Yeah, I was, I was bad. Like, I hope she's okay, but I can't even look at that. Yeah, I wrote an email like afterwards, like just to follow up, make sure and she, she was, was okay. very understanding. Oh like, yeah, their yeah. whole team was because yeah. they knew like it wasn't anything untoward. It wasn't intentional. It was just, right. I threw it to the bag. It was a self, literally a self tagging throw, which is what you're sort of trained to it do. It was actually an amazing throw because she was at the bag yeah. when she first could. base side to second base so it's on the side you want to be at actually she would have been out actually because she wasn't quite at the bag I, yet oh she would have been done <laughs> and so you know and it's been a while since we were playing soak outs you know it was like <laughs> barnyard baseball yeah. but 
Yeah, so that one really shook me up. I told Dresden on the way home, I said, see, hon, that's why I don't like you anywhere near second yeah. base when I'm throwing. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine? Yeah. Ugh. And I remember, I don't think we knew she was pregnant at the time. Everybody's like, why? Why all of a sudden can't Jarissa play? Because you're like, no, babe, mm-hmm. like this, is, you know, you can't. I was like, I've never known Jason to be like that. Go check out the other side of the fence. Like, you go back there. And then, yeah, we couldn't tell people yet. Yeah. But then it all made sense once we told people because she's competitive. And then. She, yeah. When you guys, I was like, oh, OK, got it. Yeah. I'm not it. one to be like, oh, no, your girl over here. Like, that's not my right. style anyways. Yeah. And, you know, G's very competitive, but. That's the softball story. Now that we got it out there, still following me around. I wish her the best. They didn't get her name. Her face is good. She had a good surgeon. Thank God. Yeah. She did uh, have to have reconstructive surgery. That's. I'm just going to say that, but it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it was not. It was a great throw. There were so many good things about that play. Yeah. It was. My dad would have been very proud. So proud. Self. It was chest high. Self. Because I remember throw. I was like, whoa. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Into, oh, it was bad. Yeah. Since then, a lot's changed. Yeah. And. What's, how does your competitive upbringing benefit you? Like in life, in law, in the courtroom, like do you, is it something that you're aware of that you rely on or is it more like after the fact it makes sense as to why you're able to sort of dominate certain situations? No, I carry it everywhere with me. You know, it, it's always in the forefront because it's the idea of not wanting to lose. So, yes, I'm also passionate about my clients' cases, but I also don't want to lose, right? Mm-hmm. And then it allows you to believe in your facts, although I always want to do that. But even in family law, it's, it's a little bit hard because there's never real clear winners all the time. Yeah. You know, so you still want to win based on where you can. But it it that competitive nature drives me every single day it drives me to get up in the morning to be especially running our own practices we want to make sure that everything succeeds we want to make sure that we're providing for our kids but you know the way you say that the I, there's two experiences that i always draw on if i ever get nervous if i'm going into a trial or evidentiary hearing i pull on two instances which i was a kid um, the first one was when I was rodeo queen and everybody felt like, what is she doing? You know, she's black. She's in this, you know, pretty much white dominated area. I think I was the first black rodeo queen in that time. And God, even my dad was like, babe, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> and so he and he also saw me as, you know, playful. I was always, you know, laughing and giggling. So we thought, is she even taking this serious? And so I had to give a speech and I had to have been. 16 maybe at the time and I blew everybody away with this speech so is as juvenile as that sounds I draw on that when I have to make um, closing arguments or opening statements or just arguments because I feel like if I could do that as at 16 without one blunder you know you can do I can do anything um, I did that and then also um, when I was in law school I um, had a criminal law case for the clinic and I answered the class because I was really the only ones that convinced my client to take it to trial and he had a trial case and my um, professor was so wonderful and I had to give closing arguments. I mean, I did the whole trial, but in my closing arguments, the DA thought this is, you know, just a law student. So what she decided to do was bring in, because I had to cross-examine some cops. She wanted to bring in all, she even told the judge, I'm sorry, Your Honor, before closing arguments, you know, I want to bring the witnesses back in. Brought in like six cops to sit in there, you know, stand in the audience. yeah. Yeah. And I was just, you know, I said, you know, they failed to do their job. That cop, that cop, that detective, Mm -hmm. and going to each one of them was like, you're not going to intimidate me, you know, just because 
because I may be a law student. Um, and so I draw on those two experiences all the time to feel like if I didn't have the the backing or the confidence then now, you know, what do you have to be nervous about or be fearful about? That's what always calms my nerves. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing. Those are huge because being in trial is a skill. Mm -hmm. Being able to effectively capture somebody's attention, right? Yeah. Like your goal in trial at a very basic level, regardless of the nature of the case, is to educate and persuade. Yeah. It's the goal with effective writing. It's the goal with trial work. And trial work is a very select breed of lawyers mm -hmm. that can actually do it. Yeah. Right. And you, yeah. th again, there's levels there. And you see people that are in a trial dominated practice. They either never go or they just go through the motions and they give it their all. But it it's not them. Right. There's a select breed of lawyers who are really able to get up there, think on their feet, be charismatic, capture people's attention, get them to follow along. It, it's unique. And yeah. having that experience where you could cut your teeth with a real case and people our listeners may not understand that when you're right. a law student i did the same thing where you can become a certified law clerk and under mm -hmm. the supervision of a licensed lawyer to guide you and fall back on you can try real criminal cases with the client's consent i was fortunate mm -hmm. enough to do it mm -hmm. you got the opportunity to do it with your law clinic and those stick with you and it yeah. makes me feel good to know that you rely on that because that's something that's very unique to you yeah. one having those experiences um getting up there when you're 16 fish out of water <laughs> yeah. on all sides yes race female mm. i mean you name it yeah it, you're just completely out of water you compose yourself probably didn't put much effort into preparing the speech and you just organized your thoughts and delivered something that impressed so many people to this day yeah i think you got a new nickname out of that move <laughs> over beyonce we got queen d here <laughs> Rodeo Queen D in the house. Um, and then the law student practice that sticks with you because you had that level of naivete when you're a law student. And you, yeah. you, you don't realize how inexperienced you are at that point, but you know you put in the work and you did the best you could to be ready for that moment and you capitalized on it. Yeah. And good yeah. for you for calling out those fucking cops yeah. because I love law enforcement and I'm a big supporter of law enforcement. The best friend to a criminal defense lawyer is a great agent mm -hmm. because when they do their job right, it makes our jobs easier. Right. So much easier. Right. And coming from a place of respect for law enforcement, they do those little, their gamesmanship. It's yeah. tactics. You have, you know, I had a case with Saman where they had 22 dressed to the nines and they're pressed green border patrol uniforms there for the sentencing. Oh, so yeah. There are no, no border patrol agents. Uh, there was like three involved in the case. And I, I walked in, and I'm the first one to call him out, too. Mm -hmm. uh, I walk in, and Saman didn't believe that I was going to do that. And I said, guys, if you're here, who, who's watching the border? I, I didn't even know we had this many on the payroll. But That's my tax great. dollars are not at work right now. That is great. They're not at work. I don't know. I haven't seen you wear a uniform mm -hmm. in four years. You're usually in uh, dockers in some sort of shirt with your little lanyard. Well, I dressed up today. Oh, that's nice of you to dress up. Yeah. For a sentencing where there's nothing for you to do. Mm -hmm. You're not testifying. You have no business here. You weren't the agent involved in the case. But hey, good job, boys. <laughs> like, I hate that. Yeah. Because it doesn't serve a purpose. Like, if it's trial and they're there and they're on call, that's what they're there for. They're right. the government's witnesses. But it's that little showy gamesmanship, like, don't forget who the good guys are. It's not always the case. Yeah. You yeah. know, unfortunately, and that's the good work of lawyers to uncover that and expose it because the difference between our practices, which you said, perhaps without noticing it, 
Um, my case is, yeah, winning's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the primary focus of the criminal justice system is justice. Mm-hmm. It's in the middle of those three words. Um, and it's the paramount issue in a criminal proceeding, as it should be. Mm-hmm. We don't want to put innocent people away. Justice is the main focus. And so many people get lost, especially prosecutors, and get blinded by the idea of winning. Mm-hmm. Where in your field, the ring's up. you got to grab it. Right. And, and it's that sort of tenacious advocacy, desire to win, willing to put in the hard work that will make you and has proven to be successful. And you right. can focus on fighting for your client's interest in winning. You don't have to pay sort of deference and competing interest with justice. Your singular focus is your client's focus. Right. My singular focus, my client's focus. You have another lawyer focused on their client. Mm-hmm. I have another lawyer who's supposed to be focused on the people and justice, but sometimes get blinded by willing. Yeah, you just know, by winning. Win. Yeah, yeah, and that's always a little tough, and especially sometimes with other lawyers. I have a, a lawyer friend that we're great friends now, but we both started off where we were very contentious with a case. And finally I had to tell her, I said, you and I are not divorcing. We don't have to argue about everything. This is about our clients. And so I do respect more when people, when a lawyer will say to me, hey, look, we know that there's three sides. We're just trying to find what's in the middle. We want to get what's in the best interest, especially if there's children involved, best interest of the children. And I I know that there's some lawyers that particularly like to focus more on divorce rather than custody because it does get so messy um, and heartstrings. But I love custody cases, especially having a four-year-old. I love getting to the bottom of what's going to be best for this child. And sometimes I have to tell my clients who have unrealistic views sometimes to say, hey, you know what? We're not be able to get that here where I'm not going to be able to present that to the judge. And you have to say, you know, human beings, we're not meant to be shared. We're just going to do what we can in this scenario and make the best of it. But children should not have to pay for the mistakes that adults are making. We just have to work around it. So it can't be of he does this or she does that or I don't like. But how does that affect the child? Right. And so I always have to bring clients back to that sometimes. And they'll always say to me, you know what? Thanks, Deanne. Thanks for, you know, bringing me back and, and giving me, you know, some sense of reality on it um, because you know that whole attorney counselor thing we really are counselors and I'm sure you have this in criminal defense where sometimes you have to walk them through a family issue just to get them maybe to take a plea or to decide what their future is going to be look like in thinking about their family so we have to do more than just walk in there and cite a family code or a penal code and just argue the law it's taking on the whole aspect of it and, and holding hands essentially um, to get through a case. You said it so beautifully. You know what I mean? And I'm not kissing your ass. You, <laughs> I tell you, and you tell me when I sound and look stupid all the time, I'm sure, you know, there's certain things I can't control. Yeah. Okay? These yeah. years, uh, God, thank you. Um, great listener. <laughs> great listener. Um, <laughs> big talker. Uh, but the points that you raise are so eloquent. And this is one thing where the strength of a woman and a mother in your position, I believe, on top of the track record of success, your education, your experience, add another level in that context specifically of credibility, mm-hmm. right? Because you're one hell of a mother. Thanks. You are. Thanks. And it doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. It's not a two-hour-a-day job. It's not right. a mealtime job. Um, but when you have the mom gene you have to put somebody first and you put Titus first always. And to be able to then take that experience 
because you don't get the pushback. It ends well ultimately, but it's not always received well by clients. Right. You know, and right. my letterhead says attorney and counselor at law because that's a huge aspect of building the relationship with your client and the mm-hmm. trust and the credibility with them. But they can't push back and say, how do you know? You don't even have kids. Exactly. I've had somebody even tell me before, I, the, um, with family law, California's a, a recommending state, meaning that um, before we go to court, they have to go see a mediator first, and then the mediator gives a recommendation to the judge. And so in mediation, an attorney can't be there. So they tell me what happens after. And I had a client that was real frustrated, and she says, well, you don't know. You don't know what it's like to have to be there. Actually, <laughs> I co-parent with my son, and I don't always like to tell people my private business, mm-hmm. especially clients, but you know, I co-parent with Titus, and I co-parent with his dad, who you know, and I've been there. You know, it's it's one of those things where I have to tell clients, no, I have been there, and there's light at the end of the tunnel. Without sharing all my details with you, I will let you know, you can start bad, and you can end up okay, but you have to put in the work, you know, and, and you can't say that we put in the work. Sometimes you have to decide, I have to put in the work. I might have to change this. Um, and then they can have a happy ending. But it is kind of nice sometimes when a client will tell me, you have no idea. And I'll say yes. And, and that was another reason that got me into family law is, is that I just felt like I had all of this knowledge by going through the process. And, you know, what should I do with it? And, you know, the, I just that was kind of the natural transition. And the best thing that probably ever could have happened for Titus's dad is, is that I am a family law attorney. So I know that things could be so much worse. So I can appreciate him so much for not being some of the worst things that I see. And I think that that's what gives us a great co-parenting relationship, and it helps um, Titus's um, adjustment and emotional health. And that's what always astounds me about people is they get so caught up in the fighting. How do you not understand how that's going to affect your child? You know, and sometimes I have to be the bearer of bad news to say, hey, you know, you're going to screw your child up for the rest of their life if you don't stop this. Yes, I'm here to help you. Yes, I'm here to be your advocate. But, you know, enough's got to be enough at some point. Yeah, no, it's and it's true. And our clients need to hear it. That's what they hire us for. Yeah. Not to make them feel good, blow sunshine up their dress, be their pen pal. Um, honest, unbiased advice. Right. Right. When we're advocating, we're clearly biased on behalf of our client and we're not doing our job. But when they have those attorney client communications, part of building that relationship and trust with the client is knowing that, hey, they're being honest with me. Right. And if the client then opens up and is honest with me, I can give the best advice based on the nucleus of facts or the, the real issues and concerns. And it's an evolving process as any relationship is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very powerful and it's it's something that's artistic. It's an art form. There's a skill to client relationships just like there's a skill to handling people in trial and mm-hmm. there's a skill to appellate advocacy. And there are certain areas of the law where other lawyers are perhaps better suited um, but I can tell you, since you listen to me, that it's it's so clear to me that you are in your lane. Yeah. Like, you are in your groove. You, the success proves it. The energy you bring to each day, um, the energy you bring day in and day out with the pandemic going on, mm-hmm. courts being closed. I mean, you have to deal with client issues that don't stop, mm-hmm. getting in front of a judge. I mean, it's just, it just comes out of you it it emits that like that's a fit like that's that's the best fit for your skill set yeah um and criminal law was good but the 
the passion and just the ability to start your practice, start your own office, get your own clients, and you're the one in mm-hmm. that competitive drive. You're the starter now. Yeah. And you get to run with these cases and you get to use that experience. It's just, it's cool as your friend mm-hmm. to see and check in on, see what's going on with you, see how your office is growing. It, it's great. And I appreciate you taking the time to come in. Yeah. What's been the most rewarding experience you've had as a lawyer or the most rewarding aspect of your job? Um, if you want to call it a job. Um, I think the most rewarding is kind of to piggyback on the issue of liking custody cases. It's most rewarding when I get a letter, an email, or a stop in from a client that will say, Deanne, you changed our life, you know, mm-hmm. because now the child is thriving. I, ha- I particularly had a case where there was, um, they were suspected of abuse. It was an aunt that came in to um, kind of help these two young couple that were battling drugs or whatever. And so then the aunt came in and said, you know, I'll help, you know, care for the little girl for a little bit. And then it became a custody battle with the aunt and the father. And so long story short, um, we had litigation for two years until we finally got to a trial. And trial, the judge essentially saw through everything with dad because mm-hmm. he totally fell apart on cross examination. And Wonder the judge, why. I know, somebody cross examined him pretty tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the judge said, Look, dad, I'm going to put the ball in your court. There's going to be some hurdles that you're going to have to do, essentially, that Miss Arthur is asking for. Of course, he didn't do any of those hurdles because that we could already see through what was happening. Um, and so the aunt sent me a letter and it was a move away request that the aunt wanted to move away because she had been caring for this little girl for so long, barely any support from dad. So she sent me a letter a little while ago and they had moved to, um, I want to say Texas. And she was saying how the little girl is thriving because the little girl also had some development issues and she was thriving. She had horses and she'd gotten over a speech impediment. She'd gotten over a lot of fears and she ended the letter with this could have never been possible without you. Yeah. You know, and so those are the type of cases that really touch on my heartstrings. Of course, you know, I want to do well for all of my clients, but those ones that you know that you made a difference in a child's life forever, those would make it feel like this is why I do this. The, those, the sleepless nights are worth it. The, yes. The stress and the emotional baggage that you bring home from work because yeah. you live your cases. You know, every lawyer that's dedicated in these type of fields, whether it's injury, criminal, family, the emotional component that comes along with the real life case that you handle. It's Mm -hmm. not some abstract company or some bottom line that's affected. Right. Um, It doesn't stop when you leave the office. We can't shut it off. And to get the feedback loop, it makes it worth it. You know, and you go in eyes wide open, every scenario, every client you have the opportunity to help. Um, It's up to them to deliver. Even the ones that deliver, they don't always say thank you. But Mm -hmm. those, those thank yous go so far in mm-hmm. catapulting your career and those tough days giving you the motivation to keep going and yeah it's it's special and it's a gift what we're able to do every day is a privilege oh definitely you know and I, i'm so thankful for it i know you are too and the truth is with we could be the best lawyers in the world and without any clients we're useless yeah you know? now that's very true we're an employee, too. yeah right yeah. um what about do you have any sort of morning routines or habits that you work into your day that are like Deanne's must do I have to do these things or this amount of time so that I can be at myself and be at my best do you have any sort of habits or practices that you you want to share with us yeah I do and it's a good point because I think that it's important because if you start your day wrong that affects the whole rest of your day so I try to 
neither myself or my son Titus are morning people, <laughs> but I try to get up before him. Thankfully, he wakes up a little late. I get up before him. Um, we have a new dog, so I feed the dog, and the dog has some issues always eating sometimes. So I sit with him while he eats. <laughs> so it gives me quiet time. I might go through my emails while he's eating. I like to read pray you know to start my day doing that whether it be read a devotional maybe read some of the bible but just get my day going kind of on a good note in that way and then once titus gets up we do our breakfast and we do all that i try not to rush him i am it's really hard for me not to just be like okay i'm gonna put on your clothes i'm gonna put on your shoes so that we can go i don't want you to make a mess so we can go but then i realize i'm gonna have a kid he's gonna be 30 years old like mom can you put on my shoes (laughs) so i'm trying to be more patient and get my things done before he gets up so that i can give him the time to put a shirt on backwards put his shoes on the wrong feet and you know switch all it so that he can do it (laughs) um but if i don't start out by doing those things i'm just rushing out i feel rushed the whole rest of the day so I try to make sure that I'm getting up to do all those things before he gets up and you know that helps start my day yeah win the morning you win the day yeah Um, you know you start with positivity and it makes all the difference in the world Mm -hmm. and I laugh because those stories are cute Um, they're real I have two as you know yeah you know Gigi and Luca are like I'm so okay we got to go guys you're late and it's like I have to check myself daily um, right. not one to rush through those teaching moments and those experiences because when you're in the moment there's they nothing lights you up like those stories with your kids <laughs> um, but when we focus on like oh I'm stressed I got to get late then you're sort of like oh, come on I'll just do it and you get frustrated it's yeah. not fair to them but it's it's one of those things that like us planning better and making the adjustment allows us to experience and be present with the kids and yeah. it's that also sets my whole day up like when you have a good drop off at school or oh, yeah. something funny like that's something that you just carries you through the day when you miss them like crazy yeah um yeah. it's just i remember one time i was rushed and i still always feel bad about this and i told titus I said, titus come on i have to go i was like i cannot be late for court and he stops and he puts his bows on he goes mom I'm a nice person. You don't have to talk to me like that. I said, what? You're a four-year-old. <laughs> and I was just like, you know what? Okay, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you please put your shoes on? <laughs> yeah. Please, sir. Yeah. <coughs> well, he's damn near bigger than Saman. He looks about 16. So I, I see how you forget how he's four. I know. And he talks so old. Like that people mm-hmm. always forget he's only four. Yeah. So, yeah. He's, he's a unique young man, that guy. Um I still like calling him Titan. I know. Everybody either wants to call him Titan or Tyson. Yeah. Because Titus is a little. My dad always say, I, when I was pregnant, I said, Dad, I want to name him Titus. He goes, oh, that sounds like a dog. <laughs> I said, okay. And I tried other things and it always came back to Titus. And finally I was like, because I had so many names. I said, okay, it's, it's just going to be Titus. By that time, he was just like, I don't care. Okay, whatever, Titus. But then I named him Titus Neil. And, you know, he's Neil Arthur. So yeah. he, I could have named him Bozo the Clown. As long as I had Neil in the middle, he was like, oh, great. That's a yeah. wonderful name. That's all he hears. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's all he is. You gotta love Neil. It was a good interview with him. Um, what sort of tricks or tips or recommendations would you give to someone who's either thinking about going to law school or thinking about getting into family law, whether initially or making a move uh, into that practice area? Is there any sort of recommendations or tips you'd give to any of the listeners considering that move? Yeah, I think especially for a law student. It's like how you were, you and I were talking about, try it out, see if the shoe fits before you do it, right? Because people get blinded by the idea of 
you know, they see our names on the wall or they see what we drive or wear or whatever and feel like, I want that. I want to make my own hours like they do, not knowing how much hard work we're putting in or the type of cases that we have to deal with. So it's not just what you see. See if the shoe fits first while you're in law school, while you have the luxury to be able to make the mistakes, while you have the luxury to jump around a little bit. Um, Try something that you think may not fit because it may be something that you would want to do. When um, I was working for Brian, I had uh, an intern she was wonderful. She was wonderful in court. And I thought she would be perfect in criminal defense or something else that would allow her to be in court more. But turns out she's an amazing tax attorney now, but she had to find her fit. I don't know if I would have thought that for her, but she tried out different things in law school. And I think that now she's happy with what she has. So try it everything out. And even advice before going into law school. The idea is just to know it may not be what you expect. People feel like I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to learn all about, you know, the sexy law or no, you're going to have to talk about property. You're going to talk about contracts and things that may be boring and just you have to stick it out and know that you may never use these things ever again. But Deanne, I'm offended. <laughs> I'm offended for you to say the sexy law and then transition <laughs> to property for you to not understand that a fee tail absolute oh, is gosh. sexy. Oh, it just made, gave me heart palpitations having priority, to talk about it. Priority in time, priority in right, oh, riparian per, water what is rights. Per, rights of perpetuities or whatever. Oh, oh. oh you, want the, you want it in perpetuity. Oh, yeah. Girl, you're looking for long-term commitments? <laughs> it's not that kind of show. We're here for a good time, not a long time, you're D. So Damn it. Silly. Talking about sexy law. She got me all worked up. That's why, honey, you <laughs> know guy. how I feel about the law when we start talking about primers and priority of property interests, riparian water rights. Oh, man. I can't even. Oh. Tenancy. Yeah. Oh, dear. I know. Yeah. Clearly, I loved it. That's why I did well in the class and said, no thanks. Uh, <laughs> Professor Finkmore, you're still great. Yeah. The guy was, they called him like the Velvet Hammer because he was so calm, patient. Law school wasn't like this big Socratic, oh, you know, kill yeah. you in class. But then he had the most ridiculous exams. Like, you never Hard. expect this, like, soft-spoken, like, little literature legal poet to then come in with just the sadistic, like, like oh, just people were just air and left. <laughs> oh, dude, there was so many fuck this shits that were about to walk out of that final. Um, yeah. But yeah, no. Getting back to your point of what I call and borrowed from one of my professors who gave us a talk before our first year, um, first semester finals in law school, by saying, "Hey, guys, you've put in the time, or you haven't. Mm-hmm. You're studying for tests. What you have to trust is the laws of the universe are never wrong, and." If you don't come out on top the way that you want to be, because we're all competitive, we all had academic success, it's how you got in, Mm -hmm. then don't look at it as a failure. Look at it as a cosmic redirection. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that is good. That's deep. Oh, and he's one of like, he's unbelievably intelligent, Ivy School, Ivy League educated, used to play polo, Mm -hmm. um, boxer, Art Campbell. He was like the leading authority on California sentencing law. Mm-hmm. And I felt I was instantly attracted to his class because he taught criminal law. Mm-hmm. And um, it just was a fit. Mm-hmm. But when he said that that's something that stuck with me and sort of took part of the edge off before studying for finals week. And it's it's something that people need to be open to and not miss opportunities because not yeah. not everything you go for is for you. And there's signs that tell you pivot and, mm-hmm. and redirect. Before we land this plane, um, what's something that you got coming up or a project uh, that you're thinking about or something in the future that we're looking forward to and that we could sort of, in addition to seeing you on the news, I I mean, 
that's always cool to see. I think that's awesome to see you up there and it fits you as well. Um, but like, what's something that's coming up that we can uh, be on the lookout for? You know, it's kind of hard now with COVID. Um, I'm actually taking this time to take a break a little bit from that kind of stuff because I felt like those mornings I'm getting up at five and trying to get to a new station and having Titus and all of that, I was missing out. Now I'll continue to do it, but I'm just now relishing in this time of just kind of being in there in the moment with Titus. We just got a new house. And so it's just like, we're just kind of settling into that and giving him a lot of backyard time. I actually was coming, um, I was running a little late coming here because I was having a lot of time on the trampoline um, with Titus. That's what we like to do on Wednesday mornings. Um, but I think that once the courts really open up, I think it'll be so much busier that I'm in taking on new projects. I'm just trying to relish in this time right now. I'm still doing podcasts and other things like that, but um, kind of just relishing and doing that time because family law is still, the family court is still open. I'm having hearings dressed from, you know, the waist up and, you know, having every cherry hearings and stuff, but I'm trying to manage because Titus is now at that age where, you know, he needs a lot of, you know, interaction. As you know, it's, you know, questions. Why? If I say no, why? Why? Why can't I? And, you know, it's just like, okay, there's no just like putting this off with this kid because it'll have long lasting effects. You know, the idea that they are who they are by the time they're like five, six years old. They, yeah. they have an ingrained personality by that time. So I'm really trying to take that serious right now. Oh, he's got a ton of personality already. <laughs> um, don't want to spoil you, but... Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to see where it goes, but, and no faults for you, um, for taking the time of the trampoline, yeah. you know, being present, there's, uh, and forgive me, there's mm -hmm. some, I think it was a lawyer uh, in LA who coined the term and was the first to start using it, calling this like the great pause, because mm -hmm. the legal industry's never had a forced hiatus like never. this, things shutting down, you can't get into court, you can't go see a client in jail, there's no yeah. legal visits, yeah. maybe you get a legal call, and it, I've taken this time to sort of reprioritize, refocus, and then take action on projects, finally getting around to sitting on a podcast project for three years. It took the yeah. time to launch that. Taking my social media projects I've been wanting to launch. So, you know, a lot of people are feeling helpless, and then the go-getters like you are reprioritizing and maximizing your level of presence, paying yeah. attention to your clients, but knowing that we're not going to be able to jump on a trampoline on Wednesday mornings for yeah. eternity because court calendars get set and we don't control those calendars. Right. You know, and so good for you um, for being present. Family's always first. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you don't get today back. So it's funny when I saw you starting the podcast, I was thinking, I was like, did he find a 25th hour in the day <laughs> or something? It's, <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it, I had a, I had a real talk with myself. Mm -hmm. um, I often talk to myself and brainstorm, mm -hmm. but it was one of those moments where, and I told Marco this with iLegends, by the way. Everyone should go follow them, too. But it comes down to if I didn't have the time before and I can't do it now, it's not that I don't have the time. It's mm -hmm. that I don't have the discipline. Mm -hmm. So I'm committing to these projects, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to make it work mm -hmm. because I was given a, a great pause in my practice. Mm -hmm. I was in court multiple times a day, five days a week. Right. You gotta fit in client meetings, you gotta fit in business development and all the things that come with running your office on the back end. And most important to both of us is our family time. Mm -hmm. um, the time with Jerissa, the time with my kids. Mm -hmm. There's only so many hours in the day, but it was uh, a refocusing of priorities, what's important and making the most out of my time because I see so many people sitting there helpless. Um, 
losing control or acting like they don't have control over their day, right. uh, putting on the quarantine 15 that's now stretched the quarantine 50 because <laughs> it's get pushed off, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not hating, I'm not judging, but you can see the difference in people who are taking action and mm-hmm. are going to be the continue to be the self motivators and the leaders and springboard out of this. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's good for you for being present and it's still cool to see on the news. Thanks. You know what Thanks. I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Any final thoughts before I wrap this thing up you want to share? No, but thank you so much for, I mean, I'd say no and then go forward, but yes. Lawyer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's such a good opportunity to have a conversation with, you know, somebody that's sharing your experiences. Not only are we in private practice, but we also have young children. And so it's rare to be able to have that sit down time. We used to see each other socially much more, but now kids and COVID and everything else. So it's always good to be able to sit down and talk to you. And I'm so glad that I was able to share the story with you. Well, thank you. It's That was special. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to land it. Damn you, (laughs) but um, thank you for coming on. I Mm -hmm. I mean that it's a pleasure. But for the listeners out there, this conversation was different than any of the others. And I think you tell that um, by listening and the nuggets that come out of this and stand out to me are you see a prominent female lawyer who took adversity, didn't stop, kept pushing. She pivoted to a whole new area of law, um, challenging, emotionally draining every time. And she relies back on her persistence, her commitment to her clients, to winning, experiences that she went out and sought. No one came to her and said, hey, do you want to be a rodeo queen? No one came and said, hey, come join this clinic. Go get some experience and have someone's life in your hands in the form of criminal context. She sought out those experiences, and it was through her determination to not settle and just go through the motions that she gained those experiences that allow her to have the strength to push forward and to live her day, create the life she wants so that she can provide the life with her family, buy the house in San Diego, be there, jump on the trampoline, right? And, and to have that compassion, the strength, the determination as an advocate are skills that are few and far between. The future of family law is bright, having somebody who's level-headed, compassionate, and when they're in the ring, they throw all the punches above the belt. Um, I I can't thank you enough for coming on. That was wonderful. I really can't. Um, And the, the last point that I'll end with, in addition to never settling, confidence is always key. And work on yourself, improve yourself, and if you like yourself, other people will like you too. Never settle. See you next time. Thank you.